Welcome back to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Kushang Wu. Kushang is an Associate Professor at the University of Tennessee, Senior Research Fellow at the United Nations University Institute for Water, Environment and Health, a visiting academic at Amazon, and the creator of GMAP, a Python package for interactive geospatial analysis with Google Earth Engine. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about GMAP. But there is another part to Kushang's story as well. It is the story of someone who saw something that was broken. And instead of pointing at it and saying, hey, this is broken, he fixed it. He fixed it for himself. He fixed it for his students. And then he shared it with the world. Kushang will be the first to tell you that his intention was never to become famous. But he kind of is famous. He didn't do this hoping that Google would recognize his contributions and support his work. But it happened. When he started working on GMAP, the promise was not, if you do this, the biggest players in the world will notice you and want to work with you. But they have, and they do want to work with Kushang. This is the second time Kushang has been on the podcast. The first time he gave us a great introduction to Google Earth Engine. And you will find a link to that in the show notes of today's episode. Through this podcast, I have the opportunity to share conversations with lots of people like Kushang. People who have an outsized impact on the geospatial community because of the work that they do or because of the the way they champion ideas that are helpful. And notice the emphasis here is on the word helpful. But I can't do any of this by myself. And when companies like Planet show up and say, hey, we want to help, I'm really, really grateful. If you haven't heard about Planet before, go back through the archives and look for an episode called Planet, imaging everything, every day, almost. And if you have already listened to that episode, you will remember that Planet images the Earth every day to create a living data set of global change. And you don't need to learn new tools or take a ton of time to use the latest insights. You can use Planet satellite imagery to drive richer analysis with high spatial resolution, high frequency data broad area coverage and automated detection feeds integrated directly into your geospatial platform. You can learn more at planet.com slash GIS. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. So thank you very much, Planet. I really appreciate your support. Hey, Kushang, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for coming back again. Really, really appreciate it. The previous episode we we created together has been downloaded, I can't remember how many thousands of times, maybe eight, nine, 10,000 times. So people really enjoyed it. People really interested in the work that you do. Just for a quick recap for those people that haven't listened to you before, you're an associate professor in the geography department at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and you are the creator, I guess we could call you, of something called GMAP. How did I do with that introduction? It's great. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Daniel, for the invitation. And I'm very honored to be here again on the Maps Camping uh, po- uh, podcast. And I'd love to talk more about uh, GMAP and uh, Google Engine with you and the audience. Perfect. That's exactly what I want to talk about today. So that this, this is going to work out great. Let's start with a very obvious question. What, what, is, what is GMAP? What does it do? Uh, GMAP is a Python package, a open source Python package for interactive uh, visualization and analysis uh, with Google Engine. So you build on top of the uh, Google Engine Python API uh, for doing computation and also uh, utilize a couple open source mapping libraries for doing visualization. So essentially, uh, you can do large scale computation uh, using Google Sending, using the browser. And in the meantime, you can easily visualize data in a Jupyter environment. Uh, so it makes it really easy to do uh, with couple nice call. Essentially, it's like help you watch a movie on the internet using a browser. But it's like you don't have to worry about how to uh, have a good server 
a good computer or you need just a browser so you can do that on your laptop, on your cell phone, or even on your tablet. Yeah. So that's essentially what GMAP is about. It's computation and also visualization. But why did you make this? It sounds like like I've seen this in action and it looks not complicated. That's not the word I want to use, but it's you put a lot of work into it. It looks like you put a ton of work into it. Why why do we need something like this? Why you know, you mentioned it's kind of bridging these gaps, but what wasn't there anything that did that before? Yeah, I let you ask. So basically it fills the gap uh, of the uh, kind of limitation of the Google Sensing Python API. So you can think about the Google Sensing, uh, Google Sensing provide multiple uh, APIs, the JavaScript API, Python API, and also the REST API. JavaScript API is the most like comprehensive documentation uh, on the website. So Google Sensing really uh, started like 2010. So it's over uh, 13 years now. And so JavaScript has always been the kind of the first class uh, citizen of Google Sensing because what they provide uh, with documentation examples and a lot of uh, tutorials. So when I started using Google Sensing in 2017, at the time, uh, Python API was quite limited. So you can think about the API has two components, computation and also visualization. And JavaScript API has both. So you can do computation. You can also visualize the data intactly uh, on the map. So using the Google Sensing uh, core editor. It's very easy to do. And then, um, but Python is mostly just computation. So you cannot actually visualize any data on the, using the Google Sensing API because it doesn't provide uh, native support for that. And so I'm really into Python. I teach my students how to use Python. But uh, at the time when I'm teaching the courses, uh, it's like there's no way you can visualize the data easily. So in the meantime, I also use Google Sensing for research. And I had to figure out a way actually how to like, visualize the data. So I kind of go back and forth. So I started uh, learning JavaScript the Python API, uh, the Earth Engine Python, uh, JavaScript API. I didn't like it, uh, so I went to Python. But at the time, you can only print out a thumbnail, so you cannot really visualize the data intactly. And then uh, it's just too difficult because there's not a lot of examples on their documentation uh, website. So I went back to JavaScript, uh, didn't like it, and then I went back again to Python. So at the time, I, re- I, I noticed like, oh, their folium, uh, you can actually pull the data layer Visualize it using Folium. And then later on, IPyLeet and some other mapping libraries, and also IPyWidget. So I learned a couple like open source packages that makes it feasible for me to visualize the data. And then, so I released the Python package. Uh, initially called GE Hydro. It's because I'm doing more like hydrological studies. I create a package just for uh, trying to like make it easier to visualize the data. But later on, because I was teaching my students and also I saw that maybe I can generalize that to make it more available to the geospatial community. So I re- renamed it as GMAP. And then, so in the meantime, I'm teaching my students. I'm also developing packages. So I added some new features, and then I teach my students next day in class. And then, so I do that for a couple months during the teaching. And then after I post it on GitHub, people like it, and then comment, and then they see the, some of the videos, demos that I produce. And then people start using that, providing feedback, and the rest is history. So I continue to add features, improve it, uh, release new versions, print and every week or two. So this kind of long story is that I want to use it. Uh, it's not available. I want to use the functionality to visualize the data because if you're looking, doing geospatial, if you cannot zoom in and zoom out, you cannot see the data intactly, it's not very interesting. So that's why I spend a lot of time trying to make it easier for myself and for my students, in the meantime, 
also for the geospatial community. If people find it useful for it, if not, yeah, at least it benefit myself and my students. Yeah, so that, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. If I had to summarize this, I'd say that you looked at both these APIs. JavaScript didn't do what you wanted to do, and you were used to working in Python. So you thought, oh, if I could just, you know, I already have the um, computational uh, capabilities in Python that I need. Great. I, what I'm missing is the visualization side of it. So you went ahead and built that in Python. So this means for a you know a Python programmer like you, Python developer like you, you don't have to leave the Python environment. You can just stay using the code that you like using and do both of these things. Like I, I'm not a developer, at least not the developer that you are. Could you explain to me what happens when I use GMAP? Like, can I run a process, you know, create some data, do some analytics, and then visualize this? And when I visualize it, is it just an image I'm getting back? Like what you're talking about? You're talking about the thumbnail with um, JavaScript, or does this image, does this visualization come back in a map viewer, like what I might be used to with other web mapping tools, where I can zoom around and pan in? You know, click on a, on, a, on a pixel, get some information, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, yeah, the API has two components, uh, computation and visualization. So the general workflow would be, so if you're using Python, you will most likely need to import a package. So you'll be, you will start with import GMAP, and then you create an interactive map using one of the mapping uh, backends, for example, Folium or IPyLeaflet. So the default one is IPyLeaflet because it's uh, provide the uh, most functionality uh, because it has so-called bi-directional communication functionality. That means if you click your mouse on the map, you can get the coordinates. You can use the coordinates or whatever to do computation. For example, you can select a polygon and you can use the polygon to do some, for example, zonal statistics, or you can clip the images. So basically you can pass back to the program to do computation. And so once you create a map, you can load some data. So all the data, so Google Sensing has a huge data catalog. Uh, it's called the Earth Engine Data Catalog. So that one right now uh, has over 90 petabytes of data. Uh, nine, so basically 90,000 terabytes. And it's increasing daily. And so basically, it's kind of, you can imagine that uh, the analogy I would give is that you can watch any movie for free. For example, the entire Netflix database or the combine the whole universe, all the movies are free for you to watch. But it's in the geos geospatial domain, that means all the satellite data, all the geospatial data in the public domain, many of those, the most popular ones, are already included in the Earth Engine Data Catalog. So all we need to do is that figure out what's the unique ID. So kind of every images, every data set uh, in the Earth Engine Data Catalog has a so-called asset ID. You can think about like social security number in the US, right? As long as you know the ID, you can just pull the data in, just one line of code. You can point to that data set and then you can just use ZMAP, just like add layer, and then you can pass in some visualization parameters and then you can visualize that. Basically, you can change the color, you can change the band combination. Uh, if there's a single band, you can change the color palette. So in that way, you can pull the data in. So Google Sensing is different from traditional uh, remote sensing. They, when you're visualizing the images, you are actually downloading the images or have the images locally and then you access the data. But Google Engine is like cloud computing, all the data in the cloud. So essentially, you are streaming the data on the fly. You're not actually downloading data. Exactly the same like you're watching a movie on Netflix, right? You are not actually downloading the huge data set because most of the, the, the data set in the data catalog are pretty big. So you're actually just visualizing that using basically the tie layer. So what you see on the browser is a data layer that's passing as a basement layer, kind of like similar to Google Map or Google Earth. 
因为 zoom in and zoom out it changes the uh, the resolution uh, dynamically. So it's pulling the data. So it's compute on the fly. And why this why is so fast? So it's not downloading. They say you have a one gigabyte imagery. You're visualizing it. It's not downloading the whole gigabyte. It's based on your map view, your area of the map, and also based on the zoom level. So if you zoom out, for example, at a global scale, it's not using the native resolution. So you might using, for example, ten kilometer instead of thirty meter. When you, when you zoom in, your area becomes much smaller, but your resolution might become larger. But still, it's a small area. So under the hood is basically pulling the tile layer and transport to the client. So under the hood is like a bunch of PNGs. So downloading the map tiles and then display on the map. So whenever you're doing the computation, it's running on the server in real time and then transport to your browser using a tile layer. And this makes it really, really fast. So kind of workflow is that create an interactive map and then pull the data layer, uh, the original data source, if you want to visualize that. And then you can run some computation. Uh, for example, if you want to, let's say, extract the vegetation, right? You can compute some uh, spectral difference in the indices and then you do some thresholding or do object detection, whatever you like. So in between, you can have very complicated algorithms or you can have one, some very simple one. And then once you get the result, the result similarly can be just pulling as a data layer, and then you visualize the data layer, it display the map, that's it. So kind of overall workflow is something like this. It's pretty simple and straightforward. And of course, GMAP has a lot of tools that makes it easier for you to, for example, you can compare data layer side by side. You can have a time slider to visualize time series images. So many of those are actually very simple to do and just with one or two lines of code. Compared to JavaScript, that you might like need to write hundreds of lines of code uh, to do the same thing. So that's why kind of a GMAP is kind of popular in the community because it simplifies a lot of process. Because similar to the streaming services, right? Now everyone like watch movie on YouTube, on Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever, right? People don't go to buy the DVD anymore. So exactly the same, just like we are using cloud computing, and you also want to have some tools to be able to actually do the computation and visualization easily rather than you have to go to the data portal, for example, NASA, USGS, to download the data to your computer and then try to like load the data. So if you're doing global scale studies, it's going to be huge. It's going to be terabyte, terabyte of data. Even if you have storage, you may not have the compute. You may not have enough memory to handle those last data set. But now with um, Google Sending and also GMAP, you can do global scale computation and then you can use GMAP, for example, to do visualize the data easily just with a couple lines of code. So uh, th this is going to sound like an incredibly naive question, but I'm hoping that it leads on to a, a discussion about client objects and server objects. And I hope hopefully you can define that a little bit more for us to make it clear to the audience what's possible with, with both of these different types of objects. How is this different from like a plugin that I might use that connects to Google Earth Engine in QJS or ArcGIS, for example? Yeah, so for desktop, for example, ArcGIS, QS, uh, QGIS, so traditionally those are more like desktop uh, GS uh, or desktop computing because when you are visualizing the data, you already have that locally. Uh, of course, now because of the cloud-native geospatial, so for example, cloud-optimized GeoTIFF or some of the data right now, you can actually, uh, those desktop GS can also visualize data directly using the HTTP uh, browser. But still, they, don't, they cannot really handle a large amount of the cloud data. So in contrast, Google Sensing is a totally different platform. So it's purely cloud computing. Everything is in the cloud. So in the differences between cloud 
client side object and server side object is so the client side so all the the things live in within the browser only you you can actually inspect the results server side object means think about the images let's say we're trying to visualize a global dm for example 30 meter resolution right so if you're trying to do it in qgs or arcgs or, the, or other desktop gs you need to actually have the data on your computer so that one if you read that using for example raster io or any python packages you are loading the entire image into the memory so for example if this 10 gigabyte you are loading 10 gigabyte into the memory but for server-side objects uh, we are not actually loading the entire file so you're only pointing to the image and then when you are visualizing you're only requesting the tile so it's changing dynamically and so you cannot actually use desktop gis to run computation on the google sending object because that one is more like you can think of like a black box only google sending understand how to process that uh, if you want to get the data out you need to export as a numpy array but it only allows you to actually extract a small area if you're getting a large amount of data it's going to be pretty slow analysis will be like this if you're trying to watch a movie you can either watch the movie locally if you have the file or you can use the browser to watch the movie but imagine the movie itself is not exposed to you you cannot directly download the movie from netflix right you're only watching it so under the hood there are a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, a mechanism to stream the data to your client side but it's more like doing streaming you are not doing downloading uh if you have a high definition movie it's like 50 gigabyte you're not downloading the 50 megabyte all at once to your computer so that one you can think about is a server-side object that their server understands and you are requesting for example if you are fast forward or you change the slide time slider to a certain point it is based on a request it's sending back the request to the server and then request next specific frame to your client so that you can see it so in the cloud computing is the same thing so those client side objects to stay in the google sending data catalog in the server you can request it uh, of course you can request the entire images but it's going to take you a long time to do that but if you're only visualizing a small portion it's really really fast so you need to make sure that uh, it's very important for new beginners coming to the cloud computing you need to understand uh, which one is the client side object which one is python so a uh, server side object because for most of the python programming it's actually client side so you're defining a variable you can see the variable it lives in your memory but for google sending you can also define a variable pointing to a 10 gigabyte image or you define a variable pointing to the entire length set nine image collection so that one contains for example millions of images and you the, the variable is not hosting that entire image collection it's just pointing to that so it's more like a reference eventually you have to actually get a small piece some metadata information or you can inspect that if you want to does this then mean that you know through these different plugins if we if we stay with qgs and arcgs for a second you know they connect to google earth engine that i can visualize data from google earth engine in my qgis arcgis environment but i can't do analysis so I could, it's just a visualization thing and then i can do my analysis with my local data on top of that but in that situation it's just visualization but what you're talking about with gmap for example i can do both i can do my compute and i can do my visualization and if i have local files i can also add them to my gmap i can show them but in that situation they're also just visualization layers i think uh, yes and no so actually you can think about gmap and qg access they are pretty much the same doing the same thing accessing the google sending music for cloud computing but it's visualizing for gmap is just using the browser in a python environment 
enthusiast, you can, you can visualize it. You can also do computation. But the computation need to use the Google Engine API. You cannot use like tools, QGIS processing toolbox to process the imagery. That one doesn't work because okay. you can think about the data layer that you pull into the, the QGIS. It's just a base map. So it's no difference from you're pulling an open stream map. It's the same thing. It's just a base map. It's just a tie layer. But in the QGIS plugin for uh, Earth Engine, there's a way you can actually write uh, scripts and then you can use send commands to Google Engine for doing computation. So essentially, uh, GMAC, QGIS, ArcGIS, those plugins can do the same thing. You can do computation, you can do visualization. The only difference is that you need to install, for example, desktop GIS is going to be giga, gigabyte. Uh, but GMAP is a browser-based, so you can just run on Google Colab. So GMAP has been pre-installed in Google Colab, so you don't need to install it. But you can use it in any Jupyter environment, so it's a more like a lightweight uh, browser-based environment. But if you really want to, they can do the same thing. But GMAP certainly is easier because it's designed specifically for working with Google Engine, so it has a bunch of tools available. And for ArcGIS, ArcGIS support. So I already added support for ArcGIS Pro. So you can actually enjoy everything that you want, you can do with GMAP. QGIS plugin uh, is, was developed by uh, Gena. So he already joined uh, uh, Google. Uh, but that plugin is more like most for computation. It doesn't have the interactive widgets like GMAP. So it's more like run it, uh, use the right script for computation and then just visualize that. But there's no like toolbar, toolboxes that you can like, okay, turn the letter on and off or something like that. Then you will need to use like, utilize the QGIS tool set. But again, the tools that, for example, ArcGIS toolbox, QGIS toolbox, those cannot process Google Engine data because you need to use the compute API provided by Google Engine to process the data. If you really want to use that, you need to export the data out then you lose the benefit of using cloud computing. And then the data become locally. It's not scalable. Yeah. You, you can tell by my line of questioning here that I'm pretty new to all this. So I appreciate you sort of walking me, walking me through it. Let, let's say, for example, I have some local data that I want to add to my analysis. What, what do I need to do? Uh, so uh, two ways. So for GMAP, so GMAP support both um, visualizing local data and also Google Engine data. So if you simply just want to visualize data, combine multiple data layers, uh, because some of the data are locally that's not available on Google Engine, you can just create a map. You can uh, add data from Google Engine. You can add data locally. So in GMAP, for example, you can just map.addRaster. You can add any local raster data. Map.addVector. You can add any vector, da uh, vector data. You can also add like a uh, cock layer. So you can add data directly from the cloud, a uh, cloud-optimized geotiff, but it's not in the Google Engine data catalog. So for example, you can pull data Cloud optimized geotiff or spatial temporal asset cattle or stack from other platform anywhere you can access. So basically, GMAP support a variety of sources. But if you want to use your local data for computation with Google Engine, then you will need to convert your local data to the cloud server side object. So GMAP has some functionality that allows you to do some conversion on the fly. So imagine if you have some local uh, data set, uh, vector data, geojson, or some like small vector data, GMAP can do the conversion on the fly to convert it to Earth Engine object. So for example, GeoJSON, you can say GeoJSON to EE is going to convert to Earth Engine object. Or Sapphire, SSP to EE, or Vector to EE. So there are a couple of like a handy functions can help you do the conversion. But uh, the caveat is, if your file is big, uh, 
uh, if you have like more than 10 megabytes, it's not going to work. So you need to upload the data to your Google Searching account. And there's a Google Earth Searching co-editor that allows you to upload some data. So that one has a mass, a larger limit. And so one analogy I would give you is that imagine you have a movie, a high definition movie on a local computer. You want to share with somebody else, right? How do you do that? You can upload to Google Drive and then you share a link with somebody, but it's not going to be instant. So you have to take time to upload it and then it's going to be optimized. Same idea like this one here. So if you have a movie, it's not going to be like upload the data set and then you can boom, convert on the fly instantly to Google Searching and then optimize for cloud computing. It's going to take some time. But if you only have a small one, you can imagine that, okay, maybe uh, Netflix like design a new feature that allow customers to share a movie with their friends, right? So you can have a small thumbnail, like small couple megabyte. Just like social media, you can just drag and drop and then that one becomes available on your server and then you can share with other people. But if there's 10 gigabyte, 20 gigabyte, it's going to take some time for you to down upload and then optimize. So that's kind of the uh, similar mechanism. So for raster, right now, we don't have a way to automatically convert raster to Google Engine object. So only for vector. Vector because it's geo-json, you can pass as a string and then convert to Earth Engine. Uh, feature collection. Um, but this better than the JavaScript API because JavaScript API doesn't even have that functionality. So the JavaScript co-editor is limited to the browser. There's no communication getting data from your local computer to the browser. But GMAP can pull, you can use Python to read, to read any data from a local computer. And if it's small enough, you can convert on the fly. If it's too big, uh, it's going to throw an error saying that it's too big. And then you can either simplify your vector data, for example, if you have too many vertices, if you have a country boundary is too big, you simplify and then if you only have a couple like vertices, usually that's not a problem. So this actually provides a way that quickly you can do some testing, but you don't want to spend time to upload the data to the Google Searching server. It's, it's certainly doable. Okay. Just out of curiosity, what does that mean for that data that I, that I upload? So you gave us a few different paths to uploading data, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the file size. Does that mean that once that data is uploaded to Google Earth Engine, is it visible to everyone or, or just to you? Uh, no, it's just to you. So there are two ways. If you're doing conversion on the fly, everything is div in the Google Sync server temporarily. So once you close the browser, everything is gone. So it's not permanent unless you specifically export the data to your account. Uh, because every account uh, it used to have 250 gigabyte, but now they change, transform to like using cloud projects. So it's like use whatever quota that you have for the project, but everything is temporary. So most of the things are only readable. So it's not writable. So any data set on the data catalog, you can, everyone can pull in, do some computation. And if you don't save the result, everything will be gone when you close the browser. Um, but if you export it to your local account, you can also export it to your Google Cloud Storage. You can export to Google Drive, or you can also export locally. So there are multiple ways you can do that. Uh, GMAP also makes it easy for you to export, for example, a lot of images, an entire images collection. But if, the, if you upload data to your Google Sending account using the uh, Google Sending co-editor, then it's permanent. It's for you. But you can choose to share with the public, or you can choose to share, uh, choose to share with a specific group. It's very similar to the Google Drive. You can upload files to Google Drive. And then you can choose whether to make it public or you can share with uh, some email or you can share with a Google group. So there are different ways that you can share with the data. Uh, and if you share a script that access that data set, 
if other people open it, if they don't have the uh, permission, it will show an error saying that you don't, it doesn't exist or you don't have the permission to view the images. So they basically have like security control about the data, whether how it's going to be shared with uh, different groups of people. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially the, the analogy back to, to Google Drive. Like I think that most of us should have worked with that at some stage. So yeah, appreciate that. Exporting data, you, you mentioned it briefly there that you could export to these different places to your account on Google Earth Engine or to your local computer, for example. Are we limited in the kinds of things we can export, like the kinds of file formats we can get out and perhaps the size of them as well? In terms of raster, so in the past, it support export to GeoTIFF or cloud-optimized GeoTIFF. Uh, in terms of vector, uh, you can export as GeoJSON, uh, you can export as uh, Swapfi, or uh, what else? You can also export as CSV uh, if you don't need the, uh, the geometry. So that's kind of a traditional way. Uh, then you can export to Google Drive or locally to Google Cloud Storage. Uh, but uh, in the last Geo for Good uh, Summit in October, uh, early uh, last month, uh, there's a new package called uh, XEE. So you can actually export data to uh, X-Array, uh, basically large images collection. So loads are more like for lazy computation. So imagine because Google sending the, the data in the Google sending data catalog is not the original file. So it's actually some kind of virtual mosaic. There's not a single, uh, think about if you're creating, if you're doing the computation. So you're creating, for example, a cloud-free mosaic for the entire globe. And under the hood, there are like thousands of images all together. And on their server, there's not a physical file actually exists. So it's more like a virtual file somewhere in the cloud. So if you're trying to export like huge images, virtual mosaic, it's going to take a while because yeah. it's need to grab all the data. And then if, you, if your computation uh, has a lot of like steps and it's quite complicated, it's going to take even longer. So if, the, if this is the case, you probably want to export to Google Drive, to cloud storage, because you can, I think it will allows you to export like 24 hours, for example. If it's more than 24 hours, you're going to exceed the limit and it's going to time out. Uh, but my recommendation would be, if you're trying to use this cloud computing platform, try to maximize your workflow to do everything, the computation finished in the cloud, and you only export a small section or summary of the results, rather than trying to export the original data, uh, that defeat the purpose of using cloud computing because you're downloading a bunch of, you are using cloud computing as a data downloading platform rather than as a, a cloud computing platform. Because imagine you're trying to do, let's say, if you have a population density image, you're trying to calculate, for example, the population for each country. So you're not supposed to download the entire images because that one can be very, very big, like many, many gigabytes. Instead, you should do the computation and then you do some zonal statistics uh, using Google Sending or Gmail. And then you get the, for example, the population count for each country. And then you download just the number rather than orange images. This much a smaller size. And that usually takes seconds yeah. or maybe within a minute. If you're trying to download the original, it's going to take you hours. And that's usually not recommended uh, way to do. So get the summary, avoid downloading large amount of data. It certainly is possible, but you can think about it's a, a free resources. Kind of like, let's say we are trying to watch a movie in a theater. Right. It provides movie free to everyone. You need to wait in line. Otherwise, all of a sudden, you like, you trying to block everyone else. And then only you want to watch the movie in the theater. It's not going to be feasible because it's a common resource shared by everyone. And whatever you are downloading, the large amount of data, it takes the bandwidth. So you, you can only have a certain number. If you use more than that, you're going to slow down or they eventually going to ban your account if you abuse, you use multiple accounts to do that. So that's kind of the 
uh, something you need to keep in mind when you're trying to export a uh, large amount of data from uh, Google's engine. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate appreciate you always coming back to this analogy of movies. I think everyone's watched the movies, <laughs> so it helps me understand it. I, I want to move on from from GMAP in just a second, although I realize there's a bunch more things to talk about with, with it. But what, what what am I missing? Like, what what am I not asking you? What what do you wish people understood about a GMAP? Uh, good question. I have not thought about it before. So, I mean, uh, GMAP basically is not like uh, it cannot do everything. So. It fills the gap of visualizing the data. Uh, so it certainly, but if you are a Python user, you really want to use Python, then GMAP is a, a good starting point you can utilize to do integration with your workflow. But it certainly cannot because uh, GMAP has the same limitation that Google Engine has. So cloud computing doesn't solve everything. Cloud is not suitable for doing everything. So one simple example would be if you're trying to do some hydrological analysis, if you're trying to detect the flow path, uh, or flow direction, uh, dealing at the water set, those kind of things Google Search Engine is not suitable for. So Google Search Engine is especially good for application that doesn't rely, uh, something doesn't rely on something far away. So especially if you're only doing your, your same location, you're doing time series analysis, that's perfect. But if something is related to something far away, then it's more difficult to separate them into smaller pieces to do parallel computing. Because if a DNA flow pass, if one drop of water in the mountain, it's going to flow like all the way to the ocean, you need to actually trace down all the flow paths. So it's not easy that you can subdivide into uh, smaller tiles to do computation. So there's something that right now is not suitable for. If you're doing that kind of study, you can still use Google Science to do computation. And then you can export some intermediate results. For example, you would process the DM, do some filtering or whatever. And then you can export the data out and then still use some traditional tools to do computation. And also in terms of computation, it relies on the Google sending Python API. So you need to get familiar with the Earth engine Python API. But it's relatively easy to learn. Everything is like EE doc something. So that means it's a client-side object. It's wrapped within the Google sending server. And your algorithm needs to build on top of that. And also, I mean, for new users, even if you already know Python, you need to Keep in mind is that Google Search Engine is different from client-side computing. So similar in the Python world, right? When you're trying to do something repeatedly, you're writing a for loop or you're writing a while loop, and then you're trying to loop through. In the cloud computing, Google Search Engine, you should avoid using the for loop because if you're doing the for loop. It's like in sequence. You are doing the computation in the way for the next one, so it's not actually parallel processing. Yeah. But Google Search Engine is like doing so-called map functions. The map basically means it can subdivide the image into thousands of smaller tiles and then each tile is sent to a server and then doing the computation and then return the result in seconds and then visualize that. So you should pay attention to some of those things that are very different. So you, once you know that, the nice thing about Google Engine is that you have a huge data catalog. So you can use any data you want. And also in terms of computation, it's really fast. You can do things at a global scale. So in that way, I mean, for us as um, scientists, you can focus more on addressing the scientific question rather than spending in the past like 70-80% of the time trying to manage the data, trying to download the data, store the data, and then do some pre-processing, remove the cloud, and then trying to do computation. Even if you can do computation, you can do it in a smaller area. You cannot do it at a global scale. But now, so Google Engine and, and, and Cloud Computing Platform do the heavy lifting. So you don't have to manage the data. You just focus on, for example, uh, if you're trying to do 
forest change analysis, right? Now you can just pull all the data in, you can run your algorithm, you can develop perfect algorithm, and then you can do scale it up to the entire globe as long as your algorithm works. So you don't need to worry about like area all the time because you have access to the entire data catalog that has the global coverage and you have time series that back to like decades. So now you can actually do whatever you want. Kind of like they are the entire movie database is for free and they are different uh, categories of movies, actions, romantic or whatever. You just need to figure out what do I want? Do I really into this action movie? You can pull out all the action movies and then you can run your analysis. You can figure out, for example, who are, who are the main characters? Uh, how many movies it appear like, in, 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 in there? You can run some statistics, something like that. But in the past, it's not possible because if you want to do that, you need to have your entire movie database on your local computer before you can do something like that. But right now, all you need to figure out what do I want? And then you think about how I'm going to do that because you know each movie has an ID. You can point to that and then you can ask it, Google saying to do computation. For example, tell me, I mean, how long does that character appear in that movie? So essentially, for example, how many images intersecting with this location? Uh, how many images passing this location with cloud coverage less than 10% during the last 40 years? You can do that easily, just one line of code. Wow. Or you can tell that, okay, I want to create a cloud-free images for the state of Tennessee every year, annually, for the past four decades. Yeah. In GMAP, it's one line of code, <laughs> one line. It's essentially one line of code. But imagine if you're trying to do that uh, traditionally, you have to download the data and then figure out oh, which, uh, do the intersection and then, okay, figure out the cloud, but how to actually merge them together, right? You need to actually, if you have an image, like 20 images covering the same location, some images might have cloud, some might have not. And then there's no perfect images. But in Google Sensing, this you can just do a simple medium filter. So Google Sensing, like I said, is cloud computing that it deals things with each pixel. Kind of like if you go to Google Earth, right? You go to Google Earth, you zoom in, right? Looks perfect. There's no cloud. There's no not a single cloud if you zoom in. It looks are all actually kind of fake images. They're not real. Because under the hood, it has been processed by either Google Sensing or some other cloud computing. So every pixel is the best quality pixel for that location during a specific time period. And if when you put all the pixels together, it looks perfect. Yeah. But they don't come from the same images. So this one thing that right now, why it's so fast? Because you can do cloud computing. You can just subdivide this, send to a server, and then do the computation, get the base pixel returned, and then you put them all together, and then you can export the result. Rather than having to like, process the images by image. This is by pixel. So your pixel can be, the resolution doesn't matter. It's like by pixel, every location is being processed uh, separately. And this is like really, uh, for beginners, they might not understand, okay, how do I do this? How do I do that? But you need to understand like how it actually works. And that's really helpful. They can understand what kind of things are best suitable for Google Sensing or Google Sensing may suitable for. What kind of things are not suitable for? As I mentioned, pixel-based, location-based, perfect. If something related, something related to something far away, it's not very good because it's not very scalable in Google Sending. So I, I'm used to people like you talking about this stuff. Mm. I, I talk to a lot of different people that are, that are doing a lot of different interesting work, right? But it still blows me away that this is possible. Like you were saying that just take the best pixel from that time period across the entire globe and it, you know, one line of code to make a cloud-free image of, of the world. It's insane to me. I, I wanted to ask you, so GMAP, Google Earth Engine, in, in my mind, is focused on, on raster data. And Google has something else called BigQuery, which focuses on vector data. 
do you see is anyone building a bridge to those two things so we can use both these en- engines interchangeably or can you imagine that happening in the future Yes, it actually already has. So in the last uh, Google Earth Engine, uh, uh, the uh, Earth, uh, Geo for Good Summit, they already released. So the connectors, the Earth Engine team and Google are building that. So as you mentioned, Google Earth Engine is best suited for raster analysis. Vector, they can do some, but it's not like super efficient. So BigQuery is one of the, I mean, potentially because we're getting more and more large-scale vector data. For example, the entire building data set of the entire globe, that one is like 200 gigabyte, right? It's not going to be be able to handle by a consumer laptop. So they still also need some kind of cloud computing. So BigQuery, potentially, I mean, there's still a lot more work can be done. But right now, at least they have some way to actually to pull the data and then do some interaction with Google Sensing. And also there are other open source alternatives. Uh, although it's not optimized for cloud, for example, DuckDB, the one that I recently started using it uh, couple, last couple of months, it can also do a lot of like process data in the cloud parquet or geo parquet format, they can do it very, very efficiently. So I'm very excited to see um, and, and, and there are a lot of like also startups doing some kind of this kind of cloud computing to for large scale vector data. And there are a lot more improvement can be done in this aspect. And um, hopefully in the future, we can do vector data analysis uh, very easily, similar to doing like, similar to the doing raster data analysis in Google Engine. So we can easily analyze like gigabyte, gigabyte, hundreds of gigabyte data and then you can get the result in seconds. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And I look forward to that future. When I said earlier, I want to move away from GMAP, what I, that was pretty clumsy. What I wanted to say was I want to talk a little bit more around GMAP as a project. So this is open source, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Has it been officially adopted by Google? Yes. So uh, uh, Google, so I, I started working with uh, the Google Engine team uh, during the summer. I think started with uh, in June 2023 and then up to uh, October um, 2023, so like five, six months. I've been working with them. So basically, Google Engine really wanted to, the OS Engine team wanted to improve the Python uh, functionality for the API. But as I mentioned, right now, they don't really have visualization. And so I started the project in uh, March 2020. So it's uh, more than three, three years and a half right now. And so you already have kind of a, a quite a large user base. And so Google Engine uh, reached out to me saying that can we work together? Uh, to basically improve the support and also uh, help supporting GMAP um, because it's more like the community projects. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm more than welcome to any uh, contribution, but uh, because they don't have the resources to support everything uh, in GMAP and they can only support the core visualization functionality. So for example, visualizing the data layer, inspector, plotting the chart or, or, or uh, some interactive tools that you can use to do a polygon or something like that, similar to the JavaScript co-editor. So I've been working with them since uh, some uh, June 2023. And then, so what we did essentially is reorganize the package into two components, the core functionality and also the actual functionality. So the core features basically means uh, the Google Engine team help maintain and develop. So it becomes more stable and the actual functionality will be developed by me and also the community. And uh, of course, the Earth Engine team member, they're also um, contributing to those. So we spent a couple months meeting every week, uh, reorganize that. And thanks to Justin and um, uh, Nate, so those are the two uh, Googlers that I worked uh, intensively during the last couple of months. And then also a few more engineers from the Earth Engine uh, front-end team to help basically uh, make those interface. But 
for Earth GMAP users, it looks the same. It's, there's not really much difference. But under the hood, there are a lot of like core improvement, reorganization, restructure. And Google is changing, announced it in the Geo for Good Summit uh, in October uh, 2023. So now if you go to the Google Sending documentation uh, website, for most of the example, you will see JavaScript and then you will also see the Python. So the Python example you will see when you uh, uh, expand the code block, you will see import gmap.core as gmap. So basically the core functionality is right now the Google Sending team helps support and maintain. So it becomes so much better uh, because I'm, I'm not a computer scientist by training. I learned all the Python programming a last couple of years because I have to teach it. Wow. So when I initially started a project like three years ago, I was like beginner. So I didn't really know a lot like how to improve. But over the years, I have added a lot of functionality in Mexic. Some of the things are quite complicated. So it has been a pleasure working with the Earth Engine team to reorganize, restructure. And then now it looks so much better. And I'm, I'm so happy that it has been officially adopted. So if you go to the website, Google Sending Documentation, now you should see GMAP there. Uh, import gmap.co as gmap, but you can just import gmap so you add the older uh, extra functionality. So under the hood, the extra, basically gmap depends on the gmap core. So all the core functionality visualization, uh, if they improve it, you can also use it in a gmap. So right now, basically, uh, it's so much better than uh, when I initially started. And thanks to all the collaboration and also the help from the uh, Earth Engine team and also the Google uh, front-end team. And Another good news is that it has been officially adopted and also pre-installed in Google Collab. So now you can go to the Google Engine uh, documentation or GMAP website. Anywhere you see like open in Collab, you can just click the link and then you can open the novel examples in Google Collab and then you can just run through that. You don't have to install anything. And another nice feature like the Google Collab team added was allow you to save your secrets, so basically your tokens in the notebook. So in that way, you don't have to authenticate every time. One of the annoying features in the past was like, if you want to use Google Sending, uh, initially you have to install a package and then you need to authenticate, click like seven or eight times uh, the buttons and then authenticate. But now it's just like open it, run it. If you already have a token, save. Next time you just, everything can just run without having to authenticate or install anything. So it saves so much time and uh, it's very good for doing teaching or workshop because you can, like I said, you have access to the entire 90 petabyte of the Earth Engine data catalog. And also there's another Earth Engine community data catalog maintained by Sam, uh, my friend. And essentially like you have access to the entire catalog of geospatial data for free and you can use it to do any computation. So the analogy like if we give somebody uh, the entire movie database for them to watch for free online. I mean, everyone should try it out. Yeah. Well, firstly, congratulations. Mm -hmm. I, I think you, you've put a, a huge amount of effort into all of this. And then just to, I don't want to say give it away, but like give it to the community and say, here, there, there you go. I've made this and we can all benefit from it is, firstly, it's incredible. And secondly, it's greatly appreciated. I, I know a lot of people that, that use the tools that you've made really appreciate it. I see the way you show up online, the way, you don't just make these tools, you also support them. You create a whole bunch of content around them, showing people, teaching people, not just your own students, but the world essentially. And I know that it's much appreciated. So thank you so much for all of your efforts. But my question is, what, what has this meant for you? Like, so you needed to do this or you wanted to do this as part of your, your work, you know, to help you teach your students better. But you ended up teaching 
the world, essentially. You know, a, a lot of data scientists out there had to do it. What, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for your career? What, what do you get out of all of this work? Are there any direct, indirect benefits that you've seen? Yeah, of course. I mean, I enjoy doing that. So actually, I'm not required to do that, but I uh, enjoy doing that because it benefits my resource. So I build those tools actually to help my resource, make my resource easier and also teach my students. So I have the content to teach my students because it makes it easier for them to learn. But the things that I do, like post it on GitHub and also YouTube, is more like by accident. I just put it out there because I might still need to install the packages. But eventually, initially, I'm, I'm very introvert. I'm very shy. I don't talk a lot, right? But the last couple of years actually changed my life. So because I started posting more content, but you really see my face on the internet. It's just a video. So all my stuff actually pretty easy. I just record the screen. I don't show my face uh, on the most of the time on, on, on the video. Uh, but it exposed, opened up a lot more opportunities. Uh, more people get to know me and then also lead to collaboration, funding, students. So certainly it's a huge benefit. So if you're really into that, I would encourage you to look at some of how are people doing that in the open source community. And what I'm doing is not groundbreaking. I'm only building on top of what other people build. But my mission is to make it easier, right? There are a lot of cool stuff out there in the open geospatial community. But not everyone are aware of those resources. So I always like, enjoy learning some new stuff and then integrate into my projects and then make it easier. But in the meantime, not just easier. You need to show people how to do it, how to use it. Because anytime if I spend on some feature or something, I want people to use it because otherwise my time is not uh, well like utilized. It's only me I'm using it. So... If possible, I always create a notebook, for example, try it out. And I also usually record, for example, a short demo, a couple of seconds, 10, 20 seconds, so like what it is, right? You need to actually promote so that people use it, but don't promote things like for the purpose of trying to be famous because uh, it's not something that you can get rich or get famous easy. But you continue to do what you're doing, but just don't do it like on purpose because more like, use it, uh, I, I post things as a record so that I can send to my students later when they have a question. Okay, go to this video. So actually it saved me time uh, in the long run. Also, I try to make things easier so that other people can actually uh, reproduce it and also try to minimize the requirement. Uh, I want to everything to be able to do everything online just using a browser so that everyone around the globe, if they have an account, if you have a browser, they can do that rather than you have to install some uh, huge packages on a computer. Uh, because I came from a poor family. Uh, we didn't have money. We didn't have anything actually to eat, rather uh, not to mention like to have a computer. I didn't have a computer until I went to college uh, in, in 2003, learning like Windows 95 or something like that at the time. So I know there are a lot more people out there that don't have access to those fancy computer and configuration. But at least they have some kind of internet. So if they really want to do something, they can do it. So what I'm trying to do is to showcase how we can utilize those free resources, either cloud computing, open source packages, open data, right? So you don't, all you need is some time and patience. You don't need a fancy computer. You don't need to be very smart. But if you can dedicate some time to learn some of this, you can make an impact. So everyone can do that. I'm showing you if I can do it, everyone can do that as well. So I've liked uh, interacting with the community, uh, getting the feedback for those projects and improve it. So if you have any questions, you're welcome to go to those GitHub repositories. Ask, you usually get a response from me within 24 hours. Free customer service within 24. <laughs> but 
Sometimes I'm too busy, so might not get response. But um, <laughs> but I love helping the community. I uh, and connecting with community. And if everyone's doing this, I mean, you'll be so much better. So that we can all help it start and make contribution back to the community. Well, you are definitely making the world a better place for a lot of people. And again, it's really appreciated. Thank you. Where, where can people go? Like, so you mentioned a GitHub. Um, perhaps you could send me some links after this, and I can mm-hmm. include them in the show notes where they can go to either follow along with you or reach out or, or get some help. Do you have any places you could tell us about now? And maybe we can also include some other links in the show notes later. Yeah, sure. So you can, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can follow me on social media. So the website is uh, gishub.org, G-I-S-H-U-B.org. And I'm, I'm online everywhere. Uh, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me. Just search my name. TikTok? To find me. Uh, no, TikTok. I have an account, Ooh. but I don't, I don't use it. <laughs> but mostly on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and some Facebook. Yeah. Uh, so always posting content pretty much um, daily, if not daily, uh, at least weekly. So you can see some of the things they're working on. And you can go to my GitHub repository or just search uh, Open Geospatial Solutions. So they have uh, all kind of uh, packages that I create, created and maintain. So uh, anyone are welcome to check out those repositories and contribute. I always welcome contribution. And, and um, if you have any questions, you can check out those repositories. And then usually there's a discussion uh, board there. You can ask questions. And you can follow me on uh, social media. I'd love to uh, interact with you. If you have any questions, you can all, you're also welcome to uh, email me uh, at any time well Kushang you are a legend and I really really appreciate your time thanks for thanks for talking with me today thank you very much it's my pleasure thanks again to Planet for supporting this podcast episode and by supporting this podcast episode you're also supporting all of the podcast episodes that I've ever created so I really appreciate it just want to remind you that Planet images the earth every day to create a living data set of global change and you don't need to learn new tools or take a ton of time to, to make use of these insights. You can use planet satellite imagery to drive richer analysis with high spatial resolution and high frequency data, broad area coverage and automated detection feeds integrated directly into your geospatial platform. You can learn more at planet.com GIS and you'll find a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in all the way to the end. It's much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Kushan. GMAP is well worth checking out. There'll be links to this also in the show notes of this episode. And also put a link to Kushang's previous episode that was an, a really in-depth introduction to Google Earth Engine. That's it for me. I'll be back again soon. I hope that you'll take the time to join me then.